we're going to preach this morning on holy habits, all right? Habits that God wants us to form in our life in order to live the holy life that He has called us to live. We're going to be doing that in Titus chapter 2. In fact, I'll read a couple of verses here in just a moment from Titus chapter 2 verse 11. In the book of Titus, Paul is instructing this young pastor Titus who pastors on the island of Crete as to how and what to teach various groups in the church. He's already talked to him about how and what to teach older men in the church. And then instructions to give older women and then younger women and younger men. And then he talks about the instruction that Titus needs to give to slaves. For there is a particular way that they are to behave as they reflect the life of Christ. And so it is with us. There is a way that we must behave in this world if we are a follower of Jesus. And the reason we are to live in this way is described right here in Titus chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse number 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no. Can you say no? No, you can't say no. Yeah, you can. Say it with me. One, two, three. No. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope that is the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for Himself a people that are His very own, eager to do what is good. Well, I don't know if you're ready to hear it, but I'm ready to preach you a sermon entitled, Saying No, Saying Yes. Heavenly Father, I pray that You would help us as we listen to Your Word today. May the Holy Spirit speak these truths into our hearts and change us into the people You want us to be. In Christ's name I pray, Amen. Now, how many of you have ever had to sit at a railroad crossing until a train passes by? Anybody? Okay. Uh, I have all my life. In fact, when I was a little kid, we lived in Midland, Texas. And at least once a week, we would go from our house on the far north side of town to the south side of town where my grandma Harmon lived. Uh, this would be a weekly venture on Saturday afternoon. My mom would go over there and fix Grandma Harmon's hair, and we would, we would drive to the south part of town. But to get there, we had to cross the railroad track that separates the north side of Midland from the south side of Midland. And it seems like every time we went there, we had to stop and wait on the train, all right? And there was the big engine pulling the train. It was huffing and puffing and going. All the cars were behind it carrying, carrying uh, coal or whatever it was in those cars. And then back then, and understand, this was a long time ago, back then at the end of the train would be the little red caboose signifying the end of the train, all right? And we'd wait on that little red caboose. Well, I get stuck right over here by the train all the time. But you know what? They don't have little red cabooses anymore. They've got a big powerful engine that is pulling the train, all the cars behind it, and then at the end of the train, there's another engine. A big powerful engine that is 
pushing the train. So you've got two engines. One pulling the train and one pushing the train. And you know what? As we think about the life that God has called us to live in this world as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to understand we're not doing this by ourselves. Okay? We're doing it in community. That's for sure. We're doing it as the family of faith. But we're also doing it with God. And God has given us everything we need to live a holy, righteous, godly life in this present world. He's given us all the tools. In fact, He's given us two big engines. One's a pushing us and the other one's pulling us to live the godly life He has called us to live. How do I know that? Well, we read about it in this passage. And it's found in the word appear, which occurs two times. Verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That means it's already happened in times past. God has appeared through His Son, Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus bring when He came to this earth? God's grace and salvation. So the grace of God has appeared to all men. He's already shown up. He's already appeared. Then verse 13. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Jesus showed up the first time bringing God's salvation. He's going to come a second time and redeem His very church. So that tells me there is an engine that is pushing us and there is an engine that is pulling us to live this holy life God has called us to live. And our passage first describes that engine that's pushing us. The engine that's already showed up. The engine that has appeared bringing God's salvation. So what is that first engine? It's God's gracious salvation. Somebody say amen. amen. Because it is gracious. It's great. Salvation. Verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now I don't know about you, but I get excited about that phrase, all men. God's grace that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That tells me there is none of us beyond the reach of God's grace and God's salvation. God's grace appeared because you know why? We needed it. We desperately needed it. We can't change ourselves. We can't save ourselves. So God's grace appears like this shining light into our dark, hopeless situation. So no matter what you've done, or how bad you've been, or how much you have messed up your life, God loves you. And God extends His grace that can save you. Now there's something about this grace that brings salvation to us that we need to understand, church, and it's found in verse 12. This grace that brings salvation teaches us. Do you see that? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And on the positive side, it teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So, this grace works inside of us. When God's grace moves into our heart in salvation, 
it produces something new inside of the human heart. It sets us on a new course. It replaces the old man with the new man. It replaces the old desires with new desires. In fact, the word teaches, and that's what it begins with, it teaches us. That word teaches means it trains us. God's grace that brings salvation trains us. It provides instruction or discipline that results in our developing the right habits of behavior. The way Paul puts it here means that it continually trains us. We are in constant training while we are on this earth. The grace of God that appeared to bring salvation pushes us. It trains us. It disciplines us. It makes us into the people that God wants us to be. And by the way, God didn't save you to leave you the way you were. God has saved us to make us into His people. His creating. So what that means is, you know what? we got to come alongside God and we got to do our part. My, my theme verse for this whole series is found in 1 Timothy 4.7. Train yourself to be godly. And you've heard me say this, I'm going to keep saying it. You don't just try to be godly, you train yourself to be godly. Okay? One of, one of my goals is to be a, a better preacher in 2015. I want to be better at what I do. I want to be better at the calling God has placed on my life. Why? Because if this church grows and gets bigger and better, it's going to be because I grow and get bigger and better. And you grow and get bigger and better. But you know what? That's not going to happen if I spend all of my time sitting behind my desk with my hands crossed in front of me, my head in my face, singing Kumbaya. And just hoping that I get better. No, I'm going to have to put some muscle behind it. I'm going to have to read. I'm going to have to train. I'm going to have to go to seminars. I'm going to have to do this and that and get better. Train myself to be better. Brent, I'm not going to bench press 300 pounds sitting on the couch eating cheeseburgers and french fries thinking about bench pressing 300 pounds. It ain't going to happen. In fact, I'm going to go the other way. The only way I'm going to bench press 300 pounds is going out in my gym and working hard and sweating and lifting those weights and straining those muscles. Yeah, I don't play basketball anyway. It's the only way it's going to happen. You understand what I'm saying, church? We've got to train ourselves to be godly. That's what this verse says. You're in training. Every one of you. Why? Because you're an athlete of religion. And you're in strict training. Hmm. Amen. So the grace of God trains us to form proper holy habits of behavior in our lives. The grace of God doesn't just save us from the stains of sin. It saves us from the chains of sin. It breaks the pattern of sin in our lives and replaces it with patterns of righteousness. Specifically, this passage says, the grace that brings salvation trains us to say no. Can you say no? One, two, three. No. Uh, together. One, two, three. No. It trains us to say no. What are we saying no to? Specifically two things. It says we are to say no 
to godless living. Look at verse 12 again. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. That means to act as though God did not exist. Now all of us in this room would say, oh yes, we believe God exists. In fact, many of you call yourselves followers of Jesus Christ. But did you know it's very easy for us to become practical atheists? If we really believe that God exists and that He is who He says He is, it's going to affect the way we live our lives. It's going to affect the way we think, the way we speak, what we do, where we go. I, I have this little saying, well, you know what, my boss is watching me. And I'm not talking about the board of this church. I'm talking about my boss. He's watching me. He knows everything I think, everything I say, everything I do. My boss is well, You know what? He, he's your boss too. And, and if we say we believe in God and we trust God and we follow God, it is going to affect the way we do life, friend. We are going to say no to godless living. We are going to live life as if God were living with us, and He is. So number one, we say no to godless living. Number two, we say no to worldly living. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Now, passions in and of themselves are not, are not bad. You can have a passion for God. There's nothing bad about that, is it? Is it? We should be passionate for God. Amen? I have a passion for my family. Boy, I love my kids. I love my wife. I'm, I'm passionate about them to provide for them and to protect them. I'm passionate about this church. I love this church. I have a passion for the church of God and for Kavanaugh Church. Nothing wrong with that. What we are to say no to, though, are worldly passions. That, that is the desires that consume people of the world who don't know God. The desires that characterize the spirit of this world. And if this sounds vaguely familiar, it's because I preached on it four weeks ago. I, I should have just said four years ago, huh? You remember the passage, though, 1 John chapter 2, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not of the Father, it is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the passions are the lust thereof. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So church, listen. We say no to ungodliness. We say no to worldly passions. And because I like to be a practical preacher, let me just, let me just make it practical. What does that mean? Well, when we say no to ungodliness and no to worldly passions, we say no when we change the channel and something inappropriate comes on. Or we just turn it off because we're not going to let that filth in our living rooms. Well, that didn't get any amens, did it? We say no to ungodliness and worldly passions when we don't let our minds and our eyes linger on things that are immoral. I'm not going there. I'm going to say no to that. We say no to ungodliness and worldly passions when 
we refuse to stew over an offense that has been done to us. And we're not going to get mad or even. We refuse to become bitter. We say no to that kind of thinking. We say no to ungodliness and worldly passions when we stop our lips before gossip or hateful comments spew out of them. Because we're saying no to the things of this world. That's what it means to develop some holy habits. You learn to say no to the things of this world. You say no to godless living. You say no to worldly passions. Say, preacher, I think I'm going to go down the street because you're, you're just way too negative. You're just telling us all the things we, we can't do, the things we have to say no to. Well, can you say yes? One, two, three. We say no to the world so that we can say yes to God. That's what the rest of this verse is about. It teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. In other words, when I say no to the things of the world, it frees me up so that I can say yes to the things of God. There are three adverbs that show us how we are to say yes. We are to say yes to restraint. And this deals with our relationship with ourselves. Verse 12, it teaches us to live self-controlled lives. Self-control. That pertains to being sensible and moderate in one's behavior. It's not what the world teaches you. The world teaches you, you can just say whatever you want to say. You feel it, you say it. You can act any way you want to act. You just feel that way, you act that way. That's what the world teaches. It's not what the Word of God teaches. The Bible teaches us self-control. Let me tell you, there are a lot of things I think about saying that the Holy Spirit of God reprimands me and says, Will, you don't need to be saying that. It's self-control. We need to learn self-control. In fact, we're saying yes to self-control. Number two, we say yes to rightness. This deals in our relationships with other people. Verse 12, it teaches us to live upright lives. Upright, upright pertaining to being right as the result of being justified. What this means is this, in my dealings with other people, guess what? I'm going to do what's right. Because it's the right thing to do. And it doesn't matter how the world treats you or how unjustly you've been treated. You must do the right thing. It's taking the high road, man. That's the road God wants us to take. And so we say yes to rightness. And then number three, we say yes to reverence. This deals with our relationship with God Almighty because in verse 12 it says it teaches us to live godly lives. The word godly there means to worship well. We are to live life like God is living life with us, and He is. So the first thing we say no to is godless living. And then the last thing in this verse, it says we are to say yes to godly living. We live for God. And we do all of this in this present age. That's what the verse says. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. 
That is in the world in which we live right now. Now, our world, our culture, permeates all these thoughts and opinions and philosophies and values that are, that are floating around. And this present age in which we live is a perverted and polluted world. I mean, there's no other way to put it. It, it. it is the world system. And I talked about that, yes, again, four weeks ago. And in this world of sin, where all of this perverseness and pollution is, we are to live godly lives. In this world, we say no to the things of the world and yes to the things of God. Why? Why do we do that? Well, God's eternal purpose is to display His saving power through the changed lives of redeemed people. When you see strong exhortations to holy living like we find in these verses, the purpose behind it is this, so that you can live in such a way that is so totally different than the world that the world knows you're different. And they see God in you. And through that they praise God. So here's this powerful motivation behind us saying yes and saying no. That there is an engine from behind that has appeared to us pushing us. It is the gracious salvation of God. But there is a second engine, one that's pulling us, something out there in front of us that is pulling us and helping us live this godly life. What is it? Well, it is the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hmm? Verse 13, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what's out there, church. That's what's in the future. That is what is pulling us to a life of holiness and godliness. Jesus Christ is our great God and Savior. That's right. That's who He is. The Jesus who was born in Bethlehem's manger and died on Calvary's cross is our great God and Savior. After He was buried, Jesus rose again and later ascended to the right hand of God the Father. But there will be a day when He breaks open that eastern sky and comes back for His church. When He comes back for His bride. And we as the church are waiting for this. That's what the verse says. While we wait for that blessed hope. But understand that word wait doesn't mean like you're waiting at the doctor's office. Because that's frustrating. I told the first service I had to go get blood work done this week and they told me to come at the first of the week. The first day I, I went to ProMed to get blood work done, the line was all the way outside. And I thought, there ain't no way I'm going to sit here and wait on that. So I left, went back a couple days later, and the line was still that long. And so I finally went back on Friday knowing that I had to stay no matter how long the line was. And there was a line. And when I finally got up there to the, to the little receptionist secretary lady named Verna, who I know very well, I said, Verna, how long is it going to be? And she looked at me and she shook her head and she said, it's going to be a long time. And I know you don't like to wait. Because she knows me. And I said, no, ma'am, I don't like to wait, but I'm going to have to wait. 
And so I sat there for an hour and 45 minutes waiting on blood to be drawn out of my veins. Somebody walked in who was just as frustrated as I was and said, because there was just tons of sick people in there with the flu. And that person said, well, if you weren't sick when you came in here, yeah, you're going to be sick when you go out of here. I mean, it's frustrating to sit at the doctor's office and waiting. I mean, what do you do? You look at all the magazines that are laying around the newspaper. You pull out your phone, check your emails, surf the Internet, take a nap. I mean, I mean, what do you... You get frustrated, right? That's a bad kind of waiting. No, this word means to continuously remain in a state of expectancy concerning a future event. You're excited about it. You can't wait for it to happen. You know what, church? All of history is moving towards this awesome event. As believers, it is our blessed hope. That's what the verse says. We're waiting for this blessed hope. It is our confident expectation that God, God has got something better for us. What is our blessed hope? Well, it's the final installment of God's redemption in our lives. This is where everything is moving for us as believers. When, when God saves you, He has a change of life in mind for you and a home in heaven waiting for you. Philippians 3.20 But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we do? We're eagerly awaiting Him. 2 Timothy 4.8 Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. So that begs me to ask you the question, do you long for His appearing? I mean, really, think about it. Do you ever even consider it? Do you ever even think about it? When, when was the last time you thought, I wonder if it could be today? I don't know, I think, I'm kind of convinced that we don't think about this nearly as much as we should, or even as much as we used to. When I was a kid, we talked about it all the time. Maybe it's because my preacher preached about it all the time. Shame on me for not. But we did. We talked, I can remember being in the car, talking, looking at clouds, talking about, you know what, Jesus could pop through one of those clouds right now. And when it does come to your mind, when you do think about it, what does it do to your heart? Is, is there an eagerness inside of you to see Jesus? In fact, church, do we pray for His appearing? The early church had a greeting. It was a one-word prayer that they prayed. Maranatha. It's come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. So, do you long for His appearing? Are you waiting for it to happen? If not, if not, we need to find out why. So, so just let me, let me do this just for a second, church. Maybe, maybe it's simply because you've, you've, never, you've never heard this truth taught before. 
you 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 you're saved, but you really didn't know this is this is one of the things that's going to happen, and you really never thought of it in this light. But but down through this teaching today in Titus chapter two, you realize you know what I do need to be awaiting with anticipation and expectancy the Lord Jesus Christ. And and if that's the case, maybe maybe you'll wake up in the morning and think you know what today could be the day. And you'll think that every day after this day when you wake up, Lord Jesus, come. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Or number two, perhaps perhaps you're not eagerly awaiting the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ because your love for Jesus has gotten cold. The Bible talks about that. It, it can happen. Your love and your passion for Jesus Christ can grow lukewarm. That's not a good thing. Because what that means is you've allowed the things of this world in between you and God. You've allowed other stuff like making money or having friends or gaining popularity or doing this or doing that come between you and your relationship with Jesus. In fact, you've been saying yes to the things of this world and no to the things of God. And so today maybe you need to come and recommit your life to Jesus. Ask Jesus to fire up your heart and make it warm for Him once again. Or, or, or it could be this. You're not eagerly awaiting the second coming of Jesus Christ because you're not ready. You've never said yes to Christ. You, you've been to church enough to know that to get to heaven you have to be a born again believer and you know that truth, but you've never done it. You've, you've never said yes to Jesus. Well, can I encourage you to say yes to Him today? Because can I tell you something, church? He is coming again. Jesus is coming again. It, it could be before we say amen. It could be before we take up the offering. It could be before they play the Super Bowl game tonight. I mean, but He is coming. He is coming. Church, He's coming. And the most important thing is that you're ready to meet Him. That you've said yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe? One last verse, and then I'm going to close with verse 14. This verse has talked about Jesus. And then in verse 14 it says, Who gave Himself. That is, Jesus gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for Himself a people that are His very own, eager to do what is good. Now, this verse, Jesus gave Himself for a purpose, and that is to change our life. Jesus gave Himself to leave us changed, to change us from the inside out. And He intends to redeem us from all wickedness. That's another word for sin that, that means transgression of the law of God. For you see, God's aim in redemption was to deliver us from the penalty of sin and also the activity of sin. Jesus came to purify for Himself a people that are His very own. There's going to be something about the way we live our lives that says to Jesus and the rest of the world, I belong to Him. Because that's why He came. To purify us. 
He, he intends to purify for himself a people who are, look at the end of this verse, eager to do what is good. Eager. The, that word is the word from which we get our word zeal or zealot from. And, and it caused me to just, just sit back and ask myself, Will, are you eager for the Lord? Are you zealous for Jesus? Is that the way you're living your life? I can tell you what it means. It means that I go into high gear training in godliness. It means that I'm zealous to do the right thing. It means, it means that I'm zealous to say no to this world and yes to God. Why? Because we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what it comes down to is this, church. God's given everything for us. He's given His very life to save us from wickedness and to purify us on the inside so that we can live the life He's called us to live. And you can. You can live a godly life. I don't care what the world says. You can live a holy life. He's given us two powerful engines to help us. The grace that brings salvation is pushing us. His glorious appearing the second time is pulling us to live a godly life. So church, you can do it. Let's just get into training. Let's, let's go into high-intensity training, all right? Let's live the life God's called us to live. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're not eagerly awaiting Christ's second coming because you're not ready. Well, it's time to get ready. Come this morning and receive Christ as your Savior. Maybe you're not eagerly waiting His return because you're cold and indifferent in your relationship with Him. Well, the remedy for that is just to come back and get on fire for Jesus and fall back in love with Him. Confess your sins. Whatever the case is, you can come today and make a commitment at this altar that you're going to live a godly life. You're going to say no to the things of this world and yes to the things of God. It may be that you just have a burden on your heart and you feel the, the need to come this morning and pray. Well, our altars are open and I encourage you to come to Jesus. Heavenly Father, help those who need to come. Change the lives of those who need a life change. And do it all for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with it?